Chapter 11 of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Maugham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hatton 43, blog de la quinzaine.wordpress.com. A few days afterwards, Liza was talking with Sally, who did not seem very much happier than when Liza had last seen her. He ain't what I thought he was, she said. I don't mind saying that, but he has a lot to put up with. I expect I'm rather trying sometimes, and he means well. Perhaps he'll be kinder-like when the baby's born. Cheer up, old gal, answered Liza, who had seen something of the lives of many married couples. It won't seem so bad after you gets used to it. It's a bit disappointing at first, but you gets not to mind it. After a little, Sally said she must go and see about her husband's tea. She said goodbye, and then rather awkwardly, Say, Liza, take care of yourself. Take care of myself? Why? asked Liza in surprise. You know what I mean. Nah, darned if I do. That there Mrs. Blakeston, she's looking out for you. Mrs. Blakeston? Liza was startled. Yes, she says she's going to give you something if she can get hold on you. I should advise you to take care. Me? said Liza. Sally looked away so as not to see the other's face. She says as how you've been messing about with her old man. Liza didn't say anything, and Sally, repeating her goodbye, slid off. Liza felt a chill run through her. She had several times noticed a scowl and a look of anger on Mrs. Blakeston's face, and she had avoided her as much as possible. But she had no idea that the woman meant to do anything to her. She was very frightened. A cold sweat broke out over her face. If Mrs. Blakeston got hold of her, she would be helpless. She was so small and weak, while the other was strong and muscular. Liza wondered what she would do if she did catch her. That night she told Jim and tried to make a joke of it. I say, Jim, your missus. She says she's going to give me socks if she catches me. My missus? How'd you know? She's been telling people in the street. God lummy, said Jim, furious. If she dares to touch her air of your head, swap me dicky, I'll give her such a hiding as she's never had before. By God, give me the chance, and I would let her have it. I'm blooming well sick of her socks. He clenched his fists as he spoke. Liza was a coward. She could not help thinking of her enemy's threat. It got on her nerves, and she hardly dared go out for fear of meeting her. She would look nervously in front of her, quickly turning round if she saw in the distance anyone resembling Mrs. Blakeston. She dreamed of her at night. She saw the big, powerful form, the heavy, frowning face, and the curiously braided brown hair. She would wake up with a cry and find herself bathed in sweat. It was the Saturday afternoon following this, a chilly November day, the road sloshy, and a grey, comfortless sky that made one's spirit sink. It was about three o'clock, and Liza was coming home from work. She got into Veer Street, and was walking quickly towards her house when she saw Mrs. Blakeston coming towards her. Her heart gave a great jump. Turning, she walked rapidly in the direction she had come. With a screw round of her eyes, she saw that she was being followed, and therefore went straight out of Veer Street. She went right round, meaning to get into the street from the other end, and, unobserved, slip into her house, which was then quite close. But she dared not risk it immediately, for fear Mrs. Blakeston should still be there, so she waited about for half an hour. It seemed an age. Finally, taking her courage in both hands, she turned the corner and entered Veer Street. She nearly ran into the arms of Mrs. Blakeston, who was standing close to the public house door. Liza gave a little cry, and the woman said, with a sneer, 
You didn't expect to see me, did you? Liza did not answer, but tried to walk past her. Mrs. Blakeston stepped forward and blocked her way. You seem to be in a mighty fine hurry, she said. Yes, I've got to get home, said Liza, again trying to pass. But supposing I don't let you, remarked Mrs. Blakeston, preventing her from moving. Why don't you leave me alone, Liza said. I ain't interfering with you. Not interfering with me, aren't you? I like that. Let me go by, said Liza. I don't want to talk to you. Now, nah, I know that, said the other, but I want to talk to you, and I shan't let you go until I've said what I want to say. Liza looked round for help. At the beginning of the altercation, the loafers about the public house had looked up with interest and gradually gathered round in a circle. Passers-by had joined in, and a number of other people in the street, seeing the crowd, added themselves to it to see what was going on. Liza saw that all eyes were fixed on her, the men amused and excited, the woman unsympathetic, rather virtuously indignant. Liza wanted to ask for help, but there were so many people, and they all seemed so much against her, that she had not the courage to. So, having surveyed the crowd, she turned her eyes to Mrs. Blakeston, and stood in front of her, trembling a little and very white. "'Nah, he ain't here,' said Mrs. Blakeston sneeringly, "'so you needn't look for him.' "'I don't know what you mean,' answered Liza, "'and I want to go away.' I ain't done nothing to you. Not done nothing to me, furiously repeated the woman. I'll tell you what you've done to me. You've robbed me of my husband, you have. I've never had a word with my husband until you took him from me. And now it's all you with him. He's got no time for his wife and family. It's all you. And, and his money too. I never get a penny of it. If it weren't for the little bit I'd saved up in the saving bank, me and my children would be starving now. And all through you. She shook her fist at her. I never had any money from anyone. Don't talk to me, I know you did, you dirty bitch. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, taking a married man from his family, and him old enough to be your father. She's right there, said one or two of the onlooking women. There can't be no good in her if she takes somebody else's husband. I'll give it you, proceeded Mrs. Blakeston, getting more hot and excited, brandishing her fist, and speaking in a loud voice, hoarse with rage. Oh, I've been trying to get old on you this four weeks. Why, you're a prostitute, that's what you are. I'm not, answered Liza indignantly. Yes, you are, repeated Mrs. Blakeston, advancing menacingly, so Liza shrank back. And what's more, he treats you like one. I know he'd give you that black eye. That shows what he thinks of you. And serve you blooming well right if he'd give you one in both eyes. Mrs. Blakeston stood close in front of her, her heavy jaw protruded, and the frown of her eyebrows dark and stern. For a moment she stood silent, contemplating Liza, while the surrounders looked on in breathless interest. "'You dirty little bitch, you,' she said at last. "'Take that.' With her open hand, she gave her a sharp smack on the cheek. Liza started back with a cry and put her hand up to her face. "'And take that,' added Mrs. Blakeston, repeating the blow. Gathering up the spittle in her mouth, she spat in Liza's face. Liza sprang on her, and with her hands spread out like claws, buried her nails in the woman's face and drew them down her cheeks. Mrs. Blakeston caught hold of her hair with both hands, and tugged at it as hard as she could. But they were immediately separated. Here, old art, said some of the men. Fight her out fair and square. Don't go scratching and mauling like that. I'll fight her. I don't mind, shouted Mrs. Blakeston, tucking up her sleeves and savagely glaring at her opponent. Liza stood in front of her, pale and trembling, as she looked at her enemy and saw the long red marks of her nails with blood coming from one or two of them. She shrank back. I don't want to fight, she said hoarsely. No, I don't suppose you do, hissed the other, but you're damn well after. 
She's ever so much bigger than me, I've got no chance, added Eliza tearfully. You should have thought of that before. Come on. And with these words, Mrs. Blakeston rushed upon her. She hit her with both fists, one after the other. Eliza did not try to guard herself, but imitating the woman's motion, hit out with her own fists, and for a minute or two they continued thus, raining blows on one another with the same windmill motion of the arms. But Eliza could not stand against the other woman's weight. The blows came down heavy and rapid all over her face and head. She put up her hands to cover her face and turned her head away, while Mrs. Blakeston kept on hitting mercilessly. Time, shouted some of the men, time, and Mrs. Blakeston stopped to rest herself. It don't seem hardly fair to set them two on together. Eliza's got no chance against a big woman like that, said a man among the crowd. Well, it's her own fault, answered a woman. She didn't ought to mess about with her husband. Well, I don't think it's right, added another man. She's getting it too much. And serve her right too, said one of the women. She deserves all she gets, and a damn sight more into the bargain. Quite right, put in a third. A woman's got no right to take someone's husband from her. And if she does, she's bloomin' lucky if she gets off with her hiding. That's what I think. So do I, but I wouldn't have thought it of Liza. I never thought she was a wrong Pretty specimen she is, said a little dark woman, who looked like a Jewess. She messed about with my old man, I'd stick her. I swear I would. Now she's been carrying on with one, she'll try and get others. You see if she don't. She'd better not come round my house. I'll soon give her what for. Meanwhile, Liza was standing at one corner of the ring, trembling all over and crying bitterly. One of her eyes was bunged up, and her hair, all dishevelled, was hanging down over her face. Two young fellows, who had constituted themselves her seconds, were standing in front of her, offering rather ironical comfort. One of them had taken the bottom corners of her apron and was fanning her with it, while the other was showing her how to stand and hold her arms. You stand up to Eliza, he was saying. There ain't no good funk in it. You'll simply get it all the worse. You give it her back. Give her one on the boco like this, see? You must show a bit of pluck, you know. Eliza tried to check her sobs. Yes, it are hard, that's what you've got to do, said the other. And if you find she's getting the better on you, you close on her and catch hold of her hair and scratch her. You've marked her with your nails, Liza. By gosh, you did fly on her when she span at you. That's the way to do the job. Then turning to his fellow, he said, Do you remember that fight as old Mother Craig had with another woman in the street last year? Nah, he answered. I never saw that. It was a corker, and the cops come in and took them both off to quad. Liza wished the policeman would come and take her off. She would willingly have gone to prison to escape the fiend in front of her, but no help came. Time's up, shouted the referee. Fire away. Take care of the cops, shouted a man. There's no fear about them, answered somebody else. They always keep out of the way when there's anything going on. Fire away. Mrs. Blakeston attacked Liza madly, but the girl stood up bravely, and as well as she could gave back the blows she received. The spectators grew tremendously excited. Got him again, they shouted. Give it her, Eliza, that's a good un. It are hard. Two to one on the old un, shouted a sporting gentleman, but Eliza found no backers. Ain't she standing up well now she's roused, cried someone. Oh, she's got pluck in her, she has. That's a knockout, they shouted, as Mrs. Blakeston brought her fist down onto Eliza's nose. The girl staggered back, and blood began to flow. Then, losing all fear, mad with rage, she made a rush on her enemy, and rained down blows all over her nose and eyes and mouth. The woman recoiled at the sudden violence of the onslaught, and the men cried, By God, the little one's getting the best of it! But quickly recovering herself, the woman closed with Liza, 
and dug her nails into her flesh. Liza caught hold of her hair and pulled with all her might, turning her teeth on Mrs. Blakeston, tried to bite her. And thus for a minute they swayed about, scratching, tearing, biting, sweat and blood pouring down their faces, and their eyes fixed on one another, bloodshot and full of rage. The audience shouted and cheered and clapped their hands. What the hell's up here? I say, look there, said some of the women, in a whisper. It's the husband. He stood on tiptoe and looked over the crowd. My God, he said, it's Liza. Then roughly pushing the people aside, he made his way through the crowd into the centre, thrusting himself between the two women, tore them apart. He turned furiously on his wife. My God, I'll give you something for this. For a moment they all three stood silently looking at one another. Another man had been attracted by the crowd, and he too pushed his way through. Come home, Liza, he said. Tom. He took hold of her arm and led her through the people, who gave way to let her pass. They walked silently through the street, Tom very grave, Liza weeping bitterly. Oh, Tom, she sobbed after a while. I couldn't help it. Then, when her tears permitted, I do love him so. When they got to the door, she plaintively said, Come in, and he followed her to her room. Here she sank onto a chair and gave herself up to her tears. Tom wetted the end of a towel and began wiping her face, grimy with blood and tears. She let him do it, just moaning amid her sobs. You are good to me, Tom. Cheer up, old gal, he said kindly. It's all over now. After a while, the excess of crying brought its cessation. She drank some water, and then taking up a broken hand glass, she looked at herself, saying, I am a sight, and proceeded to wind up her hair. You have been good to me, Tom, she repeated her voice still broken with sobs, and as he sat down beside her, she took his hand. No, I ain't, he said. It's only what anybody would have done. You know, Tom, she said after a little silence, I'm so sorry I spoke cross like when I met you in the street. You ain't spoke to me since. Oh, that's all over now, lady. We needn't think of that. Oh, but I have treated you bad. I'm a regular wrong and I am. He pressed her hand without speaking. I say, Tom, she began, after another pause. Did you know that? Well, you know, before today. He blushed as he answered. Yes. She spoke very sadly and slowly. I thought you did. You seemed so cut up when I used to meet you. You did love me then, Tom, didn't you? I do now, dearie, he answered. Ah, oh, it's too late now, she sighed. Do you know, Liza, he said, I'm just about kicked the life out of a fella because he said you was messing about with, with him. And you knew I was? Yes, but I wasn't going to have anyone say it before me. They've all rounded on me except you, Tom. I'd have done better if I'd taken you when you asked me. I shouldn't be where I am now if I had. Well, won't you now? Won't you have me now? Me? After what's happened? Oh, I don't mind about that. That don't matter to me if you'll marry me. I fair can't live without you, Eliza, won't you? She groaned. No, I can't, Tom. It wouldn't be right. Why not, if I don't mind? Tom, she said, looking down, almost whispering. I'm like that, you know? What do you mean? She could scarcely utter the words. I think I'm in the family way. He paused a moment, then spoke again. Well, I don't mind, if you'll only marry me. No, I can't, Tom, she said, bursting into tears. I can't, but you are so good to me. I'd do anything to make it up to you. She put her arms round his neck and slid onto his knees. You know, Tom, I couldn't marry you now. But anything else, if you want me to do anything else, I'll do it if it'll make you happy. 
He did not understand, but only said, You're a good gal, Liza, and bending down he kissed her gravely on the forehead. Then with a sigh he lifted her down, and getting up, left her alone. For a while she sat where he left her, but as she thought of all she had gone through, her loneliness and misery overcame her. The tears welled forth, and throwing herself on the bed she buried her face in the pillow. Jim stood looking at Liza as she went off with Tom, and his wife watched him jealously. It's her you're thinking about. Of course you'd have liked to take her home yourself. I know, and leave me to shift for myself. Shut up, said Jim, angrily turning on her. I shan't shut up, she answered, raising her voice. Nice husband you are. Golummy, as good as they make em. Nice thing to go and leave your wife and children for a thing like that, at your age too. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Why, it's like messing about with your own daughter. By God, he ground his teeth with rage. If you don't leave me alone, I'll kick the life out of you. There, she said, turning to the crowd. There, see how he treats me. Listen to that. I've been his wife for twenty years, and you couldn't have had a better wife. And I've bore him nine children, yet say nothing of a miscarriage. And I've got another coming, and that's how he treats me. Nice husband, ain't it? She looked at him scornfully, then again at the surrounders, as if for their opinion. Well, I'm going to stay here all night. Get out of the light. He pushed aside the people who barred his way, and the one or two who growled a little at his roughness, looking at his angry face, were afraid to complain. Look at him, said his wife. He's afraid he is. See him slinking away like a blooming mongrel with his tail between his legs. Ugh! She walked just behind him, shouting and brandishing her arms. You dirty beast, you, she yelled, to go fooling about with a little girl. Ugh! I wish you wasn't my husband. I wouldn't be seen drowned with you if I could help it. You make me sick to look at you. The crowd followed them on both sides of the road, keeping at a discreet distance, but still eagerly listening. Jim turned on her once or twice and said, Shut up. But it only made her more angry. I tell you, I shan't shut up. I don't care who knows it. You're a... You are... You're a... You are. I'm ashamed the children should have such a father as you. Do you think I didn't know what you was up to them nights you was away, courting? Yes, courting. You're a nice man, you are. Jim did not answer her, but walked on. At last he turned round to the people who were following and said, Now then, what do you want here? You jolly well clear, or I'll give some of you something. They were mostly boys and women, and at his words they shrank back. He's afraid to say anything to me, jeered Mrs. Blakeston. He's a beauty. Jim entered his house, and she followed him till they came up into their room. Polly was giving the children their tea. They all started up as they saw their mother with her hair and clothes in disorder, blotches of dried blood on her face, and the long scratch marks. Oh, mother, said Polly, what is the matter? He's the matter, she answered, pointing to her husband. It's through him I've got all this. Look at your father, children. He's a father to be proud of leaving it to starve and spending his week's money on a dirty little strumper. Jim felt easier now. He had not got so many strange eyes on him. Now look here, he said. I'm not going to stand this much longer, so just you take care. I ain't afraid of you. I know you'd like to kill me, but you'll get strung up if you do. No, I won't kill you, but if I have any more of your sauce, I'll do the next thing to it. Touch me if you dare, she said. I'll have the law on you, and I shouldn't mind how many months hard you got. Be quiet, he said, and closing his hand, gave her a heavy blow in the chest that made her stagger. Oh, you, she screamed. She seized the poker and in a fury of rage rushed at him. 
Would you? he said, catching hold of it and wrenching it from her grasp. He threw it to the end of the room and grappled with her. For a moment they swayed about from side to side. Then with an effort he lifted her off her feet and threw her to the ground. But she caught hold of him and he came down on top of her. She screamed as her head thumped the floor and the children, who were standing huddled up in a corner, terrified, screamed too. Jim caught hold of his wife's head and began beating it against the floor. She cried out, You're killing me. Help! Help! Polly in terror ran up to her father and tried to pull him off. Father, don't hit her. Anything but that, for God's sake. Leave me alone, he said, or I'll give you something too. She caught hold of his arm, but Jim, still kneeling on his wife, gave Polly a backhanded blow which sent her staggering back. Take that. Polly ran out of the room, downstairs to the first floor front, where two men and two women were sitting at tea. I'll come and stop father, she cried. He's killing mother. Why, what's he doing? Oh, he's got her on the floor, and he's banging her head. He's paying her out for giving Liza Kemper hiding. One of the women started up and said to her husband, Come on, John, you go and stop it. Don't you, John, said the other man. When a man's given his wife socks, it's best not to interfere. But he's killing her, repeated Polly, trembling with fright. Gone, rejoined the man. She'll get over it. And perhaps she deserves it too, for all you know. John sat undecided, looking now at Polly, now at his wife, and now at the other man. Oh, do be quick, for God's sake, said Polly. At that moment, a sound as of something smashing was heard upstairs, and a woman's shriek. Mrs. Blakeston, in an effort to tear herself away from her husband, had knocked up against the washhand stand, and the whole thing had crashed down. Go on, John, said the wife. No, I ain't going. I shan't do no good, and it'll only round on me. Well, you are a bloomin' lot of cowards, that's all I can say, indignantly answered the wife. But I ain't going to see a woman murdered, I'll go and stop him. With that, she ran upstairs and threw open the door. Jim was still kneeling on his wife, hitting her furiously, while she was trying to protect her head and face with her hands. Leave off, shouted the woman. Jim looked up. Who the devil are you, he said. Leave off, I tell you. Aren't you ashamed of yourself knocking a woman about like that? And she sprang at him, seizing his fist. Let go, he said, or I'll give you a bit. You'd better not touch me, she said, you dirty coward. Why, look at her, she's almost senseless. Jim stopped and gazed at his wife. He got up and gave her a kick. Get up, he said, but she remained huddled on the floor, moaning feebly. The woman from downstairs went on her knees and took her head in her arms. Never mind, Mrs. Blakeston, he's not going to touch her. Here, drink this little drop of water. Then, turning to Jim with infinite disdain, you dirty blackguard you. If I was a man, I'd give you something for this. Jim put on his hat and went out, slamming the door, while the woman shouted after him, Good riddance. Lord love you, said Mrs. Kemp. What is the matter? She had just come in, and opening the door, had started back in surprise at seeing Liza on the bed, all tears. Liza made no answer, but cried as if her heart were breaking. Mrs. Kemp went up to her and tried to look at her face. Don't cry, dearie. Tell us what it is. Liza sat up and dried her eyes. I am so unhappy. What have you been doing to your face? My, nothing. Go on, you can't have a face like that all by itself. I had a bit of a scrimmage with a woman down the street, sobbed out Liza. She's as give you a doing, and you're all upset, and look at your eye. I brought in a little bit of steak for tomorrow's dinner. You just cut a bit off and put it over your optic. That'll soon put it right. I always used to do that myself when me and your poor father had words. 
I'm all over in a tremble, and my head, oh, my head does feel bad. I know what you want, remarked Mrs. Camp, nodding her head, and it so happens I've got the very thing with me. She pulled a medicine bottle out of her pocket, and taking out the cork, smelt it. That's good stuff. None of your fire water or your methylated spirit. I don't often indulge in such things, but when I do, I like to have the best. She handed the bottle to Liza, who took a mouthful and gave it her back. She had a drink herself and smacked her lips. That's good stuff. Have a drop more. Nah, said Liza. I ain't used to drinking spirits. She felt dumb and miserable, and a heavy pain throbbed through her head. If she could only forget. Nah, no you're not. But bless your soul, that won't hurt you. It'll do you no end of good. Why, often when I've been feeling that done up, that I didn't know what to do with myself, I've just had a little drop of whiskey or gin. I'm not particular what spirit it is, and it's pulled me up wonderful. Liza took another sip, a slightly longer one. It burnt as it went down her throat, and sent through her a feeling of comfortable warmth. I really do think it's doing me good, she said, wiping her eyes and giving a sigh of relief as the crying ceased. I knew it would. Take my word for it. If people took a little drop of spirits in time, there'd be much less sickness about. They sat for a while in silence. Then Mrs. Kemp remarked, You know, Liza, it strikes me as how we could do with a drop more. You not being in the habit of taking anything, I only just brought this little drop for me, and it ain't took us long to finish that up. But as you're an invalid, like we'll get a little more this time, it's sure to turn out useful. But you ain't got nothing to put it in. Yes, I have, answered Mrs. Kemp. There's that bottle as they gives me at the hospital. Just empty the medicine out into the pile, and wash it out, and I'll take it round to the pub myself. Liza, when she was left alone, began to turn things over in her mind. She did not feel so utterly unhappy as before, for the things she had gone through seemed further away. After all, she said, it doesn't so much matter. Mrs. Kemp came in. Have a little drop more, Liza, she said. Well, I don't mind if I do. I'll get some tumblers, shall I? There's no mistake about it, she added, when she had taken little. It do buck you up. You're right, Liza, you're right, and you wanted it badly. Fancy you having a fight with a woman. Oh, I've had some in my day, but then I wasn't a little bit of a thing like you is. I wish I'd been there. I wouldn't have stood by and looked on while my daughter was getting the worst of it. Although I'm turned sixty-five and getting on for sixty-six, I'd have said to her, If you touch my daughter, you'll have me to deal with, so just look out. She brandished her glass, and that reminding her, she refilled it and Liza's. Ah, Liza, she remarked, you're a chip off the old block. To see you sitting there and having your little drop, it makes me feel as if I was living a better life. You used to be rather hard on me, Liza, because I took a little drop on Saturday nights. And mind, I don't say I didn't take a little drop too much sometimes. Accidents will occur even in the best regulated of families. But what I say is this, it's good stuff. I say and it don't hurt you. Buck up, old gal, said Liza, filling the glasses. No eel taps. I feel like a new woman now. I was that down in the dumps. Well, I shouldn't have cared if I'd been at the bottom of the river. And that's the truth. You don't say so, replied her affectionate mother. Yes, I do, and I mean it too. But I don't feel like that now. You're right, mother. When you're in trouble, there's nothing like a bit of spirit. Well, if I don't know, I don't know who does. For the trouble I've had, it'd be enough to kill many women. Well, I've had thirteen children, and you can think what that was. Every one I had, I used to say I wouldn't have no more. But one does, you know. You'll have a family some day, Liza. I shouldn't wonder if you didn't have as many as me. We come from a very prodigal family, we do. 
we've all gone into double figures, except your Aunt Mary, who only had three, but then she wasn't married, so it didn't count, like. They drank each other's health. Everything was getting blurred to Liza. She was losing her head. Yes, went on Mrs. Kemp. I've had thirteen children, and I'm proud of it. As your poor dear father used to say, it shows us how one gets the blood of a Briton in one. Your poor dear father, he was a great hand at speaking, he was. He used to speak at parliamentary meetings. I really believe he'd have been a member of parliament if he'd been alive now. Well, as I was saying, your father used to say, none of your small families for me. I don't approve of them, says he. He was a man of very high principles, and by politics he was a radical. No, says he, when he got talking. When a man can have a family rising into double figures, it shows he's got the backbone of a Briton in him. That's the stuff has built up England's name and glory. When one thinks of the mighty British Empire, says he, on which the sun never sets from morning till night, one has to be proud of himself, and one has to do one's duty in that walk of life in which it pleased Providence to set one. And every man's first duty is to get as many children as he bloomin' well can. Lord love you, he could talk, I can tell you. Drink up, mother, said Liza. You're not half drinking. She flourished the bottle. I don't care a two-penny hang for all them blokes. I'm quite happy and I don't want anything else. I can see you're my daughter now, said Mrs. Kemp. When he used to round on me, I used to think as how if I hadn't carried you for nine months, it must have been some mistake and he wasn't my daughter at all. When you come to think of it, a man, he don't know if it's his child or somebody else's. But you can't deceive a woman like that. You couldn't palm off somebody else's kid on her. I am beginning to feel quite lively, said Liza. I don't know what it is, but I feel as if I wanted to laugh till I fairly split my sides. And she began to sing, For he's a jolly good fella, for he's a jolly good fella. Her dress was all disarranged, her face covered the scars of scratches, and clots of blood had fixed under her nose. Her eye had swollen up so that it was nearly closed and red. Her hair was hanging over her face and shoulders, and she laughed stupidly and leered with heavy, sodden ugliness. Dizzy, dizzy, I can't afford a carriage, but you'll look neat on the seat of a bicycle made for two. She shouted out the tunes, beating time on the table, and her mother, grinning with her thin grey hair hanging dishevelled over her head, joined in with her weak, cracked voice. Oh, dem golden kippers, oh. Then Liza grew more melancholy and broke into old Lang Syne. Should the old acquaintance be forgot and never brought to mind? For old Lang Syne. Finally, they both grew silent, and in a little while there came a snore from Mrs. Kemp. Her head fell forward to her chest. Liza tumbled from her chair onto the bed, and sprawling across it, fell asleep. Although I am drunk and bad, be you kind. Cast a glance at this heart, which is bewildered and distressed. O oh God, take away from my mind my cry and my complaint. Offer wine, and take sorrow from my remembrance. Offer wine. End of chapter 11